You know, it's easy to understand that you could find a good rhythm section in Memphis, Philadelphia, Chicago, New Orleans. But there are not many really small towns that ever had a rhythm section and then developed it into an industry over the next 30 years. And uh, to me, that's sort of a miracle, you know. Everything had to happen. All the pieces had to fit together and fall together. So, so it was a rather pleasant miracle. Welcome to Export the Sound. I'm your host, Ben Ma. This fall, I had the chance to travel to Huntsville, Alabama to record a special series of episodes in partnership with the Music Cities Convention. I'm focusing on the very special music scene of Northern Alabama, with two cities in particular. The first is Huntsville, where the conference took place, aka the Rocket City, NASA, the Army's Redstone Arsenal, a new FBI operational headquarters, the Industrial Center of Alabama, of a place with the highest engineering degrees per capita in the United States, it's an up-and-coming boomtown with an administration trying to build it into a music city. But a key question for them is, can you build culture? We'll be exploring that in this series. But we'll be beginning our story on the flip side, the other city of northern Alabama that we're studying today, which is Muscle Shoals. It's about an hour and a half hour's drive west of Huntsville, tucked in the northwestern corner of Alabama, part of a conjoined metro area near the larger city of Florence, Alabama. Muscle Shoals doesn't quite have the industry that Huntsville does, but it has a very long history of music, all the way back to being the birthplace of the father of the blues, W.C. Handy, in 1873, as well as the double whammy, also the birthplace of the father of rock and roll and the founder of Sun Records, Sam Phillips, in 1923, 50 years after W.C. Handy. But what really put the Shoals on the map musically was a little thing called Fame Studios in 1959. We'll begin our story by talking to Norbert Putnam. He's in the Musicians Hall of Fame, founded Nashville's famous Quadraphonic Studios, and played on hundreds of records, from Elvis to Roy Orbison to Ray Charles. But in 1957, he was a 15-year-old kid at the center of what happened in Muscle Shoals. Well, I was 15 years old, and I was going to uh, Rogers High School, which is just up near the Tennessee border. And my father had played the acoustic bass as a young man. And as a young man, he went over and played on Beale Street and, uh, and worked around over there before coming back to Alabama, meeting my mother, served in the war in World War II, and got into the insurance business. But we had an acoustic bass in our house, okay? <laughs> and some kids up in, in my neighborhood, I say my neighborhood because they went to different schools, a couple of them approached me about playing bass and this new Elvis band they're putting together. And this was early Elvis with Scotty and Bill, you know. Acoustic bass, Bill's electric guitar, and Elvis played rhythm guitar. And uh, I said, well, I don't know anything about playing the bass. It never occurred to me that I should be a, a, a musician, actually. I said, uh, what makes you think that 
overnight I'll be able to, uh, uh, to, to play well enough to play in your band. And Danny Cross, who was the guitar player, said, well, this Elvis stuff has three chords. Surely to God you can find three notes. <laughs> and so I spoke to my father and he said, I'll show you how to tune the damn thing. That's what he called it, okay? Because he said, I never made any money with it and you'll never make any money with it. And, and a year later when I turned 16, I met David Briggs from Killen and Jerry Kerrigan from here in Florence. And uh, we got involved with a, a different kind of music. We dropped Elvis and went to James Brown and Ray Charles and Bobby Blubland. And we had a band that was called Dan Penn and the Paul Bears. We, we, we bought an old Cadillac Hearst. And, uh, and we, on Friday nights, we would be down at, uh, at Oxford, perhaps. And uh, Saturday night, we would drive 100 miles over to Tuscaloosa and come back home on Sunday with a massive amount of money, we would have $50 for two nights' work. <laughs> and one night, David Briggs, at the age of 16, were coming out of a movie, and he stopped us. And he said, I understand that you boys play in the best local band. Well, that was true, okay? He said, um, I'm starting a publishing company. We're going to write hit songs. We're going to have... We're going we're gonna to make records, we're going to publish, we're going to do all of these things right here in River City. It was almost like Robert Preston in The Music Man, right here in Florence, Alabama. And we, we thought he was delusional. <laughs> right. But he said, could you come up after school every day, because I'm signing a lot of writers, and he would sign anybody who could make a rhyme. These songs were awful, but it, it, it became great fun for all of us, and it was, it was training to us. Even though the singers were awful, the melodies were awful, we were learning how to invent original parts. Okay? <laughs> so, but but uh, the second year, okay, Arthur Alexander came up the steps, and Arthur was the bellhop at the Sheffield Hotel. Big, tall, handsome guy, looked like Harry Belafonte, okay, about 6'2", and he had great songs. He, uh, he, pulled, a, he pulled two... Um, two pieces of paper out of his back pocket that he had lyrics on. And he started singing a cappella. And he had a great voice. And, and we said, uh, uh, can you play the piano? Can you play the guitar? No, I don't play. You'll have to find the chords. And we did maybe half dozen demos with Arthur Alexander. And uh, one day, Rick Hall comes up the steps. He and Billy Shearer. This is... Uh, Almost two years into our stint mm. of after-school playing, but he turned to, to Tom Stafford, and he said, Tom, I, I will build the studio. I will produce a hit record on Arthur Alexander. And they formed a partnership of sorts called Florence, Alabama Music Enterprises. Fame, they called it. Well, uh, uh, Rick, <laughs> it took him a while to put some money together, but he rented a warehouse space and we recorded Arthur there. And that was a seminal moment in Muscle Shoals history. Yeah. Um, uh, we did 30, 40, 50 takes. Rick had never really balanced or engineered before. Mm. The guitar player and I, uh, we put our amps sort of in a V shape, and we had one mic we shared between the two. And we would play, and Rick would yell through the glass. He, we didn't have an intercom, but he could scream, 
turn the bass up. And I would turn the bass up a little more. No, take it down a little bit. And until he had a balance between the electric guitar and the bass, right? And that's how the first hit record was made, okay? And we heard he'd made a record deal. And uh, I don't know, a couple of months later, uh, Donnie Fritz, a friend of mine who later became a successful songwriter, he called me up and said, it's on the radio. Hey. <laughs> and, we, and we got in his, he had an old Ford uh, convertible, <clears throat> but it had a big six by nine inch speaker in the middle of the front dash, okay? And we heard it driving down Court Street. And it was like, it was like hearing the first uh, broadcast from Mars. It was unbelievable. It was not anything that you could believe in, you know? We never thought it would actually happen. Even when we were doing it with Rick, we thought, you know, big time rock and roll was very well controlled, actually, you know? There was even a lot of payola in those days. But Dot Records got it into the top 20. I remember uh, Tom called me one day and said, could you drive Arthur and I to Nashville? Arthur has to go to Philadelphia next Tuesday to be on the Dick Clark show. And, uh, and Dick Clark says, here from Florence, Alabama, is Arthur Alexander and his new hit single, You Better Move On. And, and when the film came on, Arthur, he's got the mic covering his mouth because he has to listen to hear it play before he can sing, right? <laughs> and he was almost like a deer in the spotlight. He was scared to death. And that's how Muscle Shows began. George Harrison, I worked with George in the mid-70s, uh, producing a record for him. And he talked about the day that John Lennon came in with that single. Mm. And George said he played that damn thing for two weeks, <laughs> trying to get the accent down. <laughs> yeah. and but, but they ended up, they ended up doing, uh, they didn't do the A side, but then when they got their record deal, they did the B side of their record, Get a Shot of Rhythm and Blues. And the Rolling Stones covered You Better Move On. So uh, everything, you know, that Tom Stafford had said about having successful songs came to fruition. From that beginning, Muscle Shoals went on to become a hotbed of recording. Aretha Franklin, Etta James, Percy Sledge, Bob Seger, The Rolling Stones, Wilson Pickett, George Michael, Paul Simon, the list goes on and on and on. This history is actually really well documented in the 2013 documentary Muscle Shoals, which I highly recommend. In fact, it was so impactful on revitalizing external interest in the town that throughout these interviews, you might hear people talking about, quote, the movie. That's the one they're talking about, Muscle Shoals 2013. But I wanted to get behind this known story so I decided to talk to Sandra Burroughs of the Alabama Music Hall of Fame. Okay. All right. My name is Sandra Burroughs, and I'm the executive director at the Alabama Music Hall of Fame. Well, if you don't mind us diving in in depth just on the northwest Alabama area for a little bit, um, there is such a rich history here. Uh, W.C. Handy, father of the blues, is from here. Sam Phillips, uh, father of rock and roll, is from yes. Florence as well. Um, those are well-known stories, or maybe not as well-known as you'd like. But what else about Northwest Alabama do you think often gets overlooked? You know, um, I often tell school groups that come through that singing or playing a musician uh, or a musical instrument 
um, is is where the limelight is. Everybody's focused on the singer. Everybody loves the band, but the real true hero is the songwriter. Mm. The songwriter makes money off that song every time it's played from here to eternity. And we have a we have a lot of songwriters in our area and a lot of them no one knows who they are, which is fine with them because they're sitting at home making the mailbox money is what we call it. And, you know, they're, they're not having to go on tour. They don't have to go on stage every night. They're not having to perform. They're just basically, you know, they, they wrote the song and they're collecting the money on it. And it's a really, really sweet deal. Uh, Mr. Chris Tompkins is from Green Hill, Alabama, which is there in the Shoals area. A lot, a lot of his number one songs was recorded by Carrie Underwood. Back in the day, we had Billy Sherrill that wrote tons of songs. Um, Bobby Tomberlin, who's one of my dear friends now, he writes a lot of songs. Mark Normore, he's a, a local um, songwriter and singer and does a fabulous job, the nicest man you'll ever meet. And, you know, it, it's these, these, these folks are the stories that I love to tell because yeah. they're so unique and they're not as well known as, say, the Lionel Richies or, you know, Debussy Handy. Fast forwarding to the future, 2050, what are the exhibits on Muscle Shoals going to look like in the Alabama Hall of Fame? You know, Jason Isbell, um, Alabama Shakes, I consider them younger artists because they're younger than me. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, they're definitely going to find their way into the Music Hall of Fame and other Hall of Fames as well. Um, and the sky's the limit on who will come after them. Um, but I feel like, I feel like most of our local talent is very unique in their own sense. They, they all have their own sound and does it, you know, it used to be that it was either rock and roll or country, you know, or, or blues. And, you know, now we have so much diverse music. I think that's going to be the biggest thing that we see in the Music Hall of Fame in 50 years or at 20, in 2050 mm-hmm. is the, the diversity of music. Can you make it big here right now? And if not, do you think you could ever make it big in Huntsville or in Muscle Shoals? Or would it have to be you go somewhere else, make it big, and come back, come home? Now, I think with the the way that technology is working now, when you can record a song in your own home, uh, you don't have to actually go, you know, to a, a big recording studio. You can actually find your own way at your at your convenience. And along with the social media aspect of things now, you know, I could record a song and it'd be fabulous. Put it on on YouTube or Facebook or Instagram, and you know, within 24 hours, I could be a you know sensation. And I think that's that's still going to continue to be the wave of the future is, you know, just their self-promotion and the luck of the draw as well as as social media is concerned. Hmm. Fantastic. Good deal. Uh, My name is Bob Ray. Uh, I live in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and I'm a studio musician, and I play bass guitar. Bob Ray is a legendary studio bassist from Muscle Shoals, who started his career at Fame Studios about a decade after Norbert Putnam in 1969. 
He's a career musician who shared the studio with some of the top talents to grace the Shoals and Nashville. Clarence Carter, Ray Charles, George Jones, and Willie Nelson, to name a few. Well, I started out here, my first audition for at Fame Studios with Bobby Hatfield, who was the high singer with the Righteous Brothers. Uh, I Then I auditioned with Rick Hall, who owned Fame, and did some Willie Hightower things, Candy Staten. Then, uh, when I finally moved here, then the Osmond Brothers came in in September, and we cut One Bad Apple. I'd never heard of them. I didn't know who the Osmond Brothers were, you know. I was 22 years old, and and uh, One Bad Apple was the number one pop record in the country by Christmas. So mm. we had that run, and it was all the hits on them. I think there was five or six, and then Mag Davis came in, and we did the uh, Baby Don't Get Hooked on Me and multiple tracks uh, with him, some uh, Candy Staten, Clarence Carter. Uh, and then in mid-70s, uh, Wilson Pickett came back. We did Funky Situation. Uh, and then at Wishbone, I got booked on a session with Hank Williams Jr., which was family Oof. tradition, which is probably one of the most long, longevity-wise, one of the most popular hits I played on because everybody knows the song. You know, you go to college frat parties five years from now, they're still singing it. You know, they, I did a military tour in, in, uh, in Germany. They all knew that song and they wanted hmm. to hear it. So, and that's a straight up country song and we weren't doing much country here. Uh, along right in that time frame, I did Roy Orbison's last album here. Or, I mean, his last album is a uh, solo. So that, in all those groups, and there's a lot of other stuff I, I, I'd have to go back and kind of mentally refresh my brain. But uh, by 80, it was getting, there wasn't a lot of work here. There weren't any clubs. It was uh, dry counties. And so I moved to, to Nashville. I had met a lot of... Uh, producers from Nashville here. They'd come down and work. Rick had have them come down and give us some work. So then when I got to Nashville, then it was a whole different environment and there was a ton of us. Uh, so, and, but there was also a ton of work. And once I got rolling up there, I was doing more work up there in, in, uh, in one week than I was doing down here in a month. Well, it seems like you've at some point circled back and come to Muscle Shoals was that like after you're done playing sessions or were there other things uh, between Nashville and, and the Shoals that, that before it brought you back? So I was back and forth here a lot. And then it was just, Nashville started getting, I'm not a, 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 a good politician. I don't understand it and don't care to. You know, and it was starting to get polit more political uh, hmm. than it was musical to me. And... I, it was just kind of, you know, I'd been playing the same songs over and over again, country, you know, even though I had a lot, a, a lot of different people I was working with. Um, but I just, I don't know, I, I had an opportunity to come back here. I've had this home I'm in uh, since 76. Uh, well, I, I tell everybody, well, everybody was doing cocaine. I got the wild idea to buy a lake house. <laughs> you know, and uh, it's basically kind of what it was. It's interesting to me that, that you have this insider's perspective on this turn, the switch that happened in Nashville around that time, because it also seems to correspond with an inflection point 
of when Nashville went from, you know, more, I guess, traditional country folk into like this country pop that we have now. Also the explosion of like a bunch of other genres in Nashville. And I mean, let's just just say it like Nashville has been super successful in continuing the music industry, even in the last 20 years in terms of record sales. But do you think that that has anything to do with this other shift of like the attitude of music making in Nashville? Well, you know, the talk around here is there's a lot of people leaving Nashville because they don't like it, uh, because it's the traffic, it's this and that. So there's a lot of people coming down here. I, I don't know what the attraction is here for the simple reason. There aren't people coming up in the ranks to follow people like myself, Clayton Ivey, um, the girl singers that have been here for, for decades. Um, so all that's going on is all, I think it's a lot of hype. And, and people just kind of, you know, oh, yeah, that's great. Nobody says anything negative. You know, you can sit down and play the worst song in the world, and people go, oh, God, what a great hit. Well, there's there's good studios here, and there's not a lot of players. Hmm. I mean, to put a full, full, I'll give you an example. I did Shenandoah's new album, and we did about 90% of it here. I was the only one from Muscle Shoals that played on that record. They imported a rhythm section from Nashville, and that bothers me because you got to have. There, there are guys here that are, we'll call them good session players. They just don't have an enormous amount of experience, and they're kind of in a rut because they're, they're taking everything that comes across the board, whether it's a seventy-five dollar a night gig to survive, um, playing with just the same bands over and over again. <clears throat> it's not they don't understand the mechanics of of this whole session thing that happened decades and decades ago that we still play off of i do you know and it's like no i'm not the hot guy and in, in, you know there's victor wootens and and laboriels and everybody else i mean there's some phenomenal players out there but <clears throat> the new group that's coming in it just there again, why did we have to have a rhythm section from Nashville to come down here and cut a country record? Because there weren't yeah. people that they felt confident in or weren't at the professional level that they wanted. I heard a quote the, just the other day, and, and it's a classic about what we're talking about. There were pros before Pro Tools. Hmm. And man, that sunk in with me. It's so true. I'm wondering um, if you think that the dynamic of the music industry nowadays, which seems a lot more like single focused, um, like TikTok song focused, virality focused, has maybe affected the way that musicians are trying to come up and, and become a professional. Um, like I think, do you think that there are, are fewer opportunities for studio musicians than there were before? Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, you couldn't you couldn't go out and say, okay, I'm going to be a studio musician today. Good luck. You'd have to have three or four jobs. You know, years mm. ago, it was like if you wanted to move to L.A. or Nashville, it was like have about six months worth of cash stacked up so that you can survive. And once you start connections or whatever, now it's like there's none of that because there's not any studio work. I mean, the, the right. studio, everybody's got home studios. Everybody's, you know, 
living the dream. I had that's the new cliche of these some of these guys. It's like, man, how you doing, man? Living the dream, and they've been playing the same songs in the same circuit of restaurants around here for five or six years. They're not going anywhere. You're not you. You don't have a pension. You don't have a uh, any kind of security connected with your job. Uh, whereas we, the, the session players, we had the union, we had the pension, and at least we had something to look forward to when we reached 55 or 65, whatever. These They don't have anything. And some of these guys are in their 40s. You know, and they're, and they're just playing joints. And they can't get out of that rut. Because they can't. Yeah. For number one, they don't want it. They can't afford to move to Nashville and, and explore. And number two, there's, there's a lot to explore there's guys doing sessions, but I don't think it's anywhere close to what it was 20 years ago. It can't be. Hmm. Well, what do you think of these like single lock records, guys? I know that's a pretty big label in the area. JP White and and all the musicians he's brought on. Um, like, do these musicians and these acts kind of fall into the category of like YouTube players you were talking about earlier? Obviously, it depends band by band, but. You know, I have I've read some stuff on them, on Single Lock. They seem to be their own little entity out outside of town, and mm. uh, I, I mean they've got the Blind Boys, you know, that's coming out. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. There's just not an impact record, you know. Muscle Shoals needs a hit, and mm -hmm. the song that comes to my mind is that Pharrell Williams thing a few years ago. That Happy, <laughs> yeah. And then, I mean, the morning show was using me as over. That is a hit record. When everybody in this world knew the song, it was saturating the airwaves. Muscle Shoals needs something like that. Now, unfortunately, we're back to what I was saying earlier. If you get a big hit out of Shenandoah, well, they're from Muscle Shoals. Does it matter to the the people outside where, who played on it, where, where it was cut? questionable you know <laughs> right cut it. right well if you're if you're trying to attract musicians if you're trying to be a musician's musician then they'll look into where the record was cut um if you're just trying to like put muscle shoals on the map for everyday random people they might not well yeah. then they're going to look at the credits on it and they're going to go well those guys are from nashville you know yeah, fair why don't we go to nashville you know <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's what happened with muscle shoals in nashville Muscle Shoals was really hot in the 60s and 70s, especially with the, I mean, One Bad Apple and Rick Producer of the Year. I mean, those were big times here. Uh, and then it, Nashville started putting a lot of pressure on Muscle Shoals. We didn't have any nightclubs. We didn't have any, uh, you know, decent restaurants. So the people started going, we can see our publisher, producer, record company, Management company, the whole works under one umbrella in Nashville, come in for a week and go back out on the road. Now it's kind of reversed. All the people are moving from Nashville to here. But is it because the, this is such a wealth of music, players, writers, and everything? Or is it because you sold your $3 million house in Nashville and you can come down here and buy one for half the price? That's what I hear. That's what a lot of people, oh, real estate is so cheap down here. So we're getting saturated. But I'm not seeing the music business blossoming around here to match the influx of all these people that think it's a great deal because you can buy a house down here for half of what it was there and have twice the house. 
Mm-hmm. You know, what are you bringing musically? Your reputation? Well, okay. How many records? How many hits have you produced? You know, what? what's your track record? What, what have you uh, engineered? There's a lot of that, but it's... I just, it gets too much hype for me. I'm not that kind of person. It's like, I'm the old school. If you can play, you can stay. You know? <laughs> sure. Um, I don't know. I don't mean to be rude, but I mean, I, some people just, they won't face the facts. In part two, we'll hear from Florence native Sean Patrick on how he thinks Muscle Shoals can revitalize its recording scene. Plus, we'll take a look at Huntsville, the city across the valley, and their ambitious plan to fast-track themselves into a music city by passing policies and building infrastructure. The original Tennessee whiskey, George Jones, Bob played yeah. on that. The, you know, Chris Stapleton redid that. But Yeah, yeah, I know the Chris Stapleton version. I, I didn't know the original. The original George Jones version. And I did an album, a duo with uh, uh, George Jones and Merle Haggard. And that hmm. was fun. That was... And, and Jones was straight. Everybody thinks from the picture I got that he was blasted, but he wasn't. He was straight. He was nervous because he, he... I found out he considered... Uh, Merle Haggard to be the best country singer there was and so he mm. came in he knew his lyrics uh, he knew everything you know and whereas sometimes George would come in with his briefcase at 10 and 10 in the morning he opened it up one day and it was perfectly row perfect rows of little Jack Daniels miniatures the whole briefcase <laughs> and he knocked a couple of those out we <laughs> we cut the session I go to lunch at the at the uh, market across off music row and I walk in, they've got these little newspapers and stuff, and the headlines on one of them, it says, Jones quits drinking. I, I literally looked, looked at the watch, and I'm going, had to have been in the last 15, 20 minutes. 